G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. What does God ultimately want to do with you? He wants to get you in the Word, man. He wants to get the Word in you and let you realize how powerful it is against evil. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. In this episode, we're continuing in Pastor Jeff's Deception series. We're investigating the impact of the devil or the unseen world in this world today. What happens when we become unhealthily angry, concerned or overly obsessed with something and can't let it go? We're about to continue looking at the armour of God from Ephesians chapter 6, armour that can protect us from evil's distraction or interference in our lives. Conviction. Is conviction a good thing? Absolutely. Conviction is a good thing. It, it prevents us be, from becoming sociopaths. It's God's great deterrent to evil. Conviction is supposed to stop you in your tracks and warn you, don't do this. The ramifications will be harmful. Like every time I'm tempted to talk back to my wife, there's this thing here, don't do this, this could be bad. Or anytime I'm tempted to say anything negative about my mother-in-law, which you know I would never do. But the problem is when conviction is infected by a satanic injection, it becomes guilt. And the DVD plays over and over in your mind of something you did in the past. And you can't forgive yourself. And you think that God can't forgive you. And you think the cross is for all those other people, but it doesn't help me. And it stifles any chance of an undefeated life. Let me say to you once and for all, folks, your acceptance before God is not based on your past. It's based on Christ's past. And what he did in the past is die on the cross for your past, present, future sin. So get up, get going, and get over it. Now, who is it? Who is it that plays the DVD, though, in your mind to remind you, Jeff, look what you did. See, the devil's a double agent. First he tells you, do it, do it. Then he says, you shouldn't have done that. You got it? That's how he works. Sex is a good thing in the context of total commitment. But what does Satan do? He infects your mind with a satanic injection that tells you that sex is the ultimate, that it is your savior, that it is the ultimate pleasure that gives you meaning and significance. And he plays the DVD of possibilities over and over so that you find yourself sitting at the computer late at night, seeing things, watching things you should not be watching. And he creates this insatiable desire and lust and addiction. And the more you allow him in, the more powerful his pull. What do you do then? The Bible says, Ephesians 6, 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth around your waist. What is he saying? What is the imagery? It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. He says, take all of these thoughts 
that are in your mind. Take all of them and gather them in and tie them in close with the belt of truth. He's saying lead your emotions and those thoughts, all of them, pick them up by the scruff of the neck and lead them to what you know as a believer in Christ to be true. Make them subjected to the word of God. You say, is that really that simple, Jeff? That seems so, too simplistic. Well, hold on a minute. What does it mean? It means, number one, if you're following along, you must believe the God's word is the truth. This is huge. Jesus said, thy word is truth, John 17, 17. There's a famous preacher on television. He's not one of my favorite. I'm probably not one of his favorite. He's not one of my favorite because... I think he errs on the side of health, wealth, and prosperity, and he doesn't tell you the the whole truth about what to expect when you become a believer. But he does begin all his sermons with a great line, super line. Holds up his Bible and he says, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have, and I can do what it says I can do. And I think that's brilliant. Tim Keller says, you're not, now think about Tim Keller, one of my favorite authors, He says, you're not supposed to page through the Bible and decide what you like and don't like. You're supposed to allow the Bible to page through you that it might reveal what it likes and does not like. Do you understand that? I've been saying this for four and a half years now. The Bible is the objective truth. It is the word of God. And when your life conflicts with the Bible, it's your life that has to change, not the Bible. (laughs) Until you get to the point in your life where you believe that this is the word of God, then you will never be able to defeat the enemy because you won't have the ammunition. You won't have the tools to live that abundant, successful, happy life. You stay with me. Let's go back to the military imagery. You with me? Why does Paul use military imagery? Is it because he's glorifying war? No. It's because no other metaphor will do concerning our relationship with God. Think about it. Think about employer-employee relationship where you have a supervisor that comes to you and tells you you got to do this or gives you an order. You still have choices, don't you? Number one, you can quit. Well, I'm not doing that. I take this job and you know the rest of the song. Not doing that. Or you can complain. You know, I don't like this. I think this is bad policy and you can go above his head or her head. Or you can sue. That's God bless America. We sue. (laughs) I'm going to sue you. It's really an agreement that you have. Now, think about the military. Think about the opening scene in Saving Private Ryan, and they're about to storm the beaches. Think about the commander saying, all right, man, storm the beach. And the first guy on the boat says, can we discuss this with a field rep? (laughs) Or, you know, I'm not feeling real well today. I I think I'll take a sick day. Or, commander, the other guys and I have been talking on the whole way over here, and we don't think it's a good idea to storm the beaches. No, no, no. That's not how the military works, is it? In the military, you obey without question. You have total trust, obedience, and surrender. And the military metaphor may not be perfect, but it teaches you that you're in the army now, God's army, and he is your commander-in-chief. And the first move you make when he gives you a command is obedience because you believe in the objective word of God and that objective word will give you the victory. Proverbs chapter three, verse six says, in all your ways submit to him and he will make straight your paths. If you're looking for that abundant life, you're gonna get it in the context of obedience to God, not outside of it. Now let me tell you something about this belt. I don't wanna be crass, but I wanna be straight with you. Notice what the belt covers. The belt covers your private parts. 
It does. There's a reason for that. Well, you know the reason for that practically. But spiritually, Paul uses the metaphor to tell you that it's not enough to just believe in the word of God. It's got to make its way down into your most inner parts and churn and turn so that at the right time and the right place, the spirit of God springs that word to life and gives you victory. So first, you've got to believe that God's word is truth. Second, you've got to begin to use the objective word of God subjectively. What does that mean? I know this from firsthand. All right, anybody who suffers panic attacks, like me, you know what happens, don't you? Doesn't your mind start going everywhere? Oh my goodness, it's coming, I'm gonna die. They've missed it, they've misdiagnosed me. They said my heart was fine, but it's not. I'm gonna die right here. Have I signed my will? What will happen to my children? How, How long will it take me to get in the emergency room? I wonder if they can save me. Man, your mind goes everywhere. And what the Bible says is you take all of that in with the belt of truth and you gather it all in and you say to yourself, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That is a supernatural weapon because it comes from the mouth of God. You with me? You gather it in and you make your emotions and thoughts, you make them submit to what you know to be true. What about the economy? Economy's bad. People are saying, man, what if I lose my job? What if I lose my house? The Bible says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who are you or who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Jesus says, what are you doing? There's a sovereign God who's in charge of every aspect of your life, who knows the number of the hairs on your head, which for me is decreasing day by day but he knows them. Even when they change, he knows them. He knows everything about your life. He knows every detail. And you, most of us need to determine the difference between need and desire. And the Bible says God will supply our needs in Christ Jesus. So when you start worrying about what might happen, you're supposed to take a deep breath and gather all those unholy thoughts in and say to yourself, God, I know what you say, that even the birds of the air, and how much more valuable are we? How about guilt? Oh, this is a good one. Now, some of you have a whole bit. Guilt. Guilt. Just eaten up with guilt of something you've done in the past. And you're supposed to gather all those thoughts in. Romans 5, 1, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. You're accepted not on the basis of what you've done in the past, but on what Jesus did in your past. Romans 8, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're not condemned anymore, folks. It's over. What about when you say, but Jeff, you don't understand. I, I got that, but I, there's this temptation over here that just keeps getting at me and eat me, eating at me and it's destroying me and I don't have any power over it. That's a lie. That comes from the devil. The Bible says this, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. You know what that means? If you believe the word of God is true, then you believe when the temptation comes, God will provide an exit. And if you believe that, you'll look for it. And he will make it appear and you will take it. But Pastor Jeff, sometimes I, I just feel like I'm so alone. I, I, I don't feel like anybody's with me. I, feel, I mean, I know there's a battle there, but I, I don't have anybody. You know what I've learned in my panic attacks? I'm never alone. That's right. That was my big fear for a long time. I, I don't, what if this comes and, I'm, and Robin's not around? It's separation anxiety. And my kids, nobody's around. I'm by myself and I just die right here. 
For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons. Isn't it interesting he uses nor angels nor demons? Because who makes you feel alone? Neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in the creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You with me? Stay with me. It's almost over. You with me? Now, I got a question for you. Since God knows that it is the word of God in you, going into the innermost parts that gives you the victory, then what does God ultimately want to do with you? He wants to get you in the word, man. He wants to get the word in you and let you realize how powerful it is against the supernatural forces of evil. But do you know what he has to do to most of us to get us in the word? Trouble. Man, when I started having my panic attacks, oh God, give me a verse, any verse, I don't care what it is, just anything that makes me feel better. Where is it? Psalm, Proverbs, anything. I'll go right to the word. Help me, help me, give me a verse. People on airplanes, Bibles everywhere, in church and airplanes. <laughs> when you're in trouble, man, you're in the word looking for a, something from God. And if you don't believe the Bible before the flight, right in the middle of it, a lot of people start believing in God, just like that. <laughs> Let me end like this. In 2 Kings chapter 6 is a, is a cool story. Now stay with me because I got two stories and we're done. It's one of my favorite stories because it... it it should open our eyes to something. It's, the, it's in 2 Kings chapter 6, for those of you who want to look at it later, 8 through 14. The evil king of Aram is so frustrated with the prophet Elisha. And the reason he's frustrated with Elisha is the king of Aram wants to defeat the Israelites, but every time he comes up with a plan, God tells Elisha. <laughs> and Elisha tells the commander. So this is, this is worse than having a spy in the other camp. This is like having the other team's playbook. You know exactly what they're going to do. This is making the king of Aram so frustrated. So you know what he does? Forget this stuff. I'm going to kill Elisha. All right. So he gets the thousands of horses and chariots around the hill. And instead of descending on the army of Israel, he's all aimed at Elisha's front door. <laughs> One guy. Now you put yourself in Elisha's servant's position. When he wakes up the next morning, he walks out the door to take care of business. And he looks and he sees all this. The Bible says he starts screaming. Elisha, oh, it's over. We're going to die. We're Eli Elisha just walks out, just calm and collective. What's wrong, Elisha? Or what's wrong, sir, Mr. Servant? How, well, I can't remember his name. Look around. And Elisha says this. Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, oh, Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I pray that he would open your eyes that when you're in the midst of the battle, yeah, there might be demonic forces, but there are supernatural heavenly forces and they're on your side and they're pulling for you and what they're trying to get you to do to speak the word of God into any area of your life because the Bible says that's how you resist the devil and when you resist the devil, he's got to flee. So number three, we, we must gather all our thoughts into the word of God. Now, this means, you know what this means? I love this part. This means that Christians are thinkers. Now, if you say that out in some parts of society, you go, no, 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 no. Christians are not deep thinkers. That's their problem. They just blindly walk and believe. Really? Do you know the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. Now, I want you to leave that, I want you to notice what the contrast is between not faith and reason. 
He doesn't say we walk by faith, not by reason. He says we walk by faith, not by sight, which means for the Christ follower, I don't live by mere appearances. I live by what I know to be true. So whatever appears to be, whatever emotions I'm feeling, I force all of that to submit to what I know to be true as discovered in the objective word of God. So that I've learned even about my own anxiety, anxiety is not too much thinking, it's the lack of thinking. Because after all those things come in at me, if I would not stop there and gather all those in and really think on a second level, then I would say to myself, whoa, wait a minute, greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. If God is for me, who can be against me? God determines the timing of my life. He knows the day I'm going to die. So by worrying about it, it's not going to do anything. If it's my time, it's my time. Amen. Who can add a single day to his life by worrying? So I should just go on with my life and say, okay, I don't like this attack, but there it is. Whoop, there it is. And then it's gone. So that to put on the belt of truth means to appropriate the truth of the gospel into your life so as to change your perspective and conform your emotions to reality. One more time. To put the belt of truth means to appropriate to activate the truth, the word of God, the gospel, into your life so as to change your perspective and conform your emotions to reality. That you start to see the whole world as God sees it. And when you start to see it as God sees it, you just get calm. Let me illustrate it for you and then that's it. Vietnam in the early 70s, there was a translator by the name of Phan Hien. When the war intensified, the American preachers left that after the American preachers pulled out, he was arrested and put into a POW camp because he had translated for the American preachers. He was tortured daily. And those of you who know anything about history know that some of our POWs were treated worse in those camps than even some of the concentration camps. They would starve him to death and then right at the point that he thought he was gonna eat again, they would slide a plate of feces under the door to him. They would tie him to poles, they would beat him, they would torture, and they say, we're gonna to continue to do this until you recant your faith in God. They would force him to read Marx and Engels, and this went on week after week, month after month, year after year, and finally he got to the point, he said, that's it. I'm gonna denounce God, and he said, when I wake up tomorrow morning, it's gonna be the first time since I became a believer that I have not prayed, and he did not pray. That same day, they put him in charge of latrine duty, cleaning the latrines. He noticed when he was cleaning the latrine, latrines that in the, waste, in the paper basket or the, the waste basket, there was some paper wadded up and it had English on it. And he hadn't read English in a long time and he, he longed to read some English so he picked up the paper and he cleaned the excrement off of it because somebody had been using the paper for toilet paper and he put it in his pocket, got back to his uh, uh, room later that night and under a mosquito net, had a flashlight and noticed that it was Romans chapter eight, that the commander of the POW camp was using the Bible as toilet paper. So he goes to the commander the next day and says, hey, do you mind if I clean the latrines every day? And the commander said, yeah, go ahead. So he collected the whole of the book of Romans. He said, on that first piece of paper was that God works everything together for those who love him, for those who've called according to his purpose. And I continued to read and I read, what shall we say then? 
If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He said, God would not let me out of his sight even for 24 hours. And when I read those words again, it awakened the spirit in me and those words went deep down into my soul and I told myself that no matter what happens to me in this camp, I'm gonna get out of here and God loves me and I'll be more than a conqueror and he will work even this together for his good. And the word of God gave me the power to overcome the supernatural forces of evil. And here's what I'm telling you. This is Fawn Hinn right here. Here's what I'm telling you. If a guy in a POW camp can go through torture and pain and suffering every day and be kept alive and defeat the enemy by the power of the word, surely you and I can do the same. Father in heaven, I am thankful for the power of your word and for the beginning of a series that is sure to open our eyes to the truth of the power of God's word. I pray that this morning there'd be a renewed strength, a renewed power, a renewed desire to allow the word of God into us to such a degree that it would govern every aspect of our lives. And when all these thoughts and emotions and feelings come, that we'd be able to gather all of them into the belt of truth, the truth of your word, and that by doing so, we would resist the devil, and by doing that, he would have to flee. But the word of, even if he comes back again, within the hour, still the word of God, the word of God, the word of God. I pray for those who feel like they are oppressed, that there would be some relief in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining me on Today with Jeff Vines. And I hope that's encouraged you to seek the power in Jesus' name, to put on the armour of God each day, to overcome whatever you face. We heard about the belt of truth. And next time, we're going to look closer at the breastplate of righteousness. Please join me again next time on Today with Jeff Vines. A supernatural entity called the devil a fallen angel with supernatural power is bent on your destruction. Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.